For people who aren't athletes, the amount of carbs right afterwards doesn't matter as much as getting in recovery nutrients like protein. If you are the type of person, though, who is getting in an hour-long workout most days of the week, even four to five days a week, that's where I would say that you do want to prioritize carbs with the protein. Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is nutrition performance specialist, Kelly Jones. Kelly is a board-certified specialist in sports dietetics and owner of Kelly Jones Nutrition, a media and nutrition communications consulting company, as well as a private practice. As a nationally recognized nutrition expert, Kelly is regularly featured in traditional media and consults with national sports organizations. With a plant-forward approach, she and her team of dietitians offer resources, tips, recipes, and self-paced courses to help optimally fuel the body and mind of those with busy, active lifestyles in practical ways. Kelly also founded and oversees the services and resources provided by Student Athlete Nutrition, whose mission is to make evidence-based performance nutrition information and practical applications accessible to more high school and collegiate athletes. Kelly is also a mom of two boys, so she knows the many struggles and busy lifestyles of a parent. In this episode, Kelly provides her top tips on how to get the most of your workout and recovery using nutrition. I have seen one too many times where people are putting in so much effort in their workouts but are not properly fueling before and after, potentially preventing them from building muscle, losing fat, increasing performance, and recovering properly. And while Kelly works with many athletes, today we're mainly focusing on those with an active, busy lifestyle who go to the gym or a class a few times a week and maybe has a half marathon in their future. All to say this episode is for all of you. Kelly, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on. You've been on my list to have on forever. And I also was like, I also just want to do a little catch-up session too. Um, Selfishly, but I'm so glad you could be on. We are going to talk a lot about performance nutrition, which we are also going to define because I feel like we throw that word around and phrase as dietitians a lot um, or fitness professionals. But sometimes your average person's like, what does that really mean? Is it just for athletes? Um, but welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Love chatting with you always. So um, I think it's going to be a great conversation wherever it goes. Me too. So I'd love, Kelly, we always start off with just our guests telling everyone a little bit about your journey um, in how you really grew to love nutrition and then specifically get into performance nutrition. Yeah. So I found a love in nutrition actually as a teenager. I was a competitive swimmer through college, um, but my mom ran into some health issues when I was about 12, 13. And she sought out nutrition help um, through naturopaths, dietitians, and via that, it really kind of flipped how our family was eating. She always made a lot of home cooked meals, and you know, prioritized that. But uh, it definitely changed things for us. And I noticed a difference in what I ate and how I performed in the pool right away. So early on, knew that one, I wanted to help people because she had some medical recommendations that were just crazy, and we're lucky she didn't follow through with. Um, and I wanted to help people find nutrition. But I also saw that connection with performance for myself right away and knew that that was a direction I wanted to go in the future too. So I'm lucky that I knew really early on kind of where I wanted to take my career, I guess, topic-wise, I'd say. 
Yeah, no, and it's great that you just had exposure to like just the fact that there are dietitians. Because I remember mm-hmm. the only way I, you know, how I got down the nutrition path was my senior year in high school, my guidance counselor was like, well, you know, what major do you want to do? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm good at science. So something with that. <laughs> yeah. And she, you know, asked me, when you flip through a magazine, like, what do you normally go toward? Like, go for it. And I'm like, oh, usually like anything with like food, nutrition. She was like, well, would you want to do that as a career? And I was like, is that, is that a career? Like, is that a thing? I? Yeah. Because I feel mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I, you didn't hear of dietitians as much. Now I feel like you hear about us everywhere, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. But that's so cool. You got that exposure and then got to see for yourself the performance changes because that's what drives us all to do what we do because we've all experienced the power of good nutrition and then we just want to spread it. Exactly. And I think that it helps the people that we're trying to communicate with when we have that personal experience too. And I think that drives the passion and they see that and they want to learn more from people who are passionate about what they're doing. A hundred percent. So let's first start, Kelly, with just in your own words, like defining performance nutrition. So if someone keeps hearing that phrase and they're like, I don't really understand, is that just for athletes or like, what does that mean for me? Yeah. And it's a great question. I, I think that I've seen this with clients for a long time where uh, because they're not competitive athletes, they don't think that they need to fuel in a similar way. Um, but when you look at the super busy, super active schedules that people have, we're then also prioritizing fitness and exercise for a variety of reasons. Uh, performance nutrition comes down to energizing yourself, recovering well from all of these things on your schedule. I don't think it's just about physical performance either. Uh, while that's obviously a big focus of who I work with and my dietitians work with, it also extends to mental performance. And I think the two go hand in hand and how we're fueling our body throughout the day is going to benefit both physical and mental performance in work, in fitness itself, in you know, parenting. For those of us who are parents, there's so many things uh, that require us to feel our best physically and be able to think through things well enough mentally. Yeah, it's really just having enough energy to be active through the day. It doesn't even have to mean that you're going to the gym all the time. But if you're active throughout the day and going to the gym, you 100% have to think about fueling yourself. So I know we were going to dive into some misconceptions and I want to get there, but could you just touch on lightly, Kelly, like what would be some of the things people should uh, keep in mind when they are you know, fueling themselves for a very active day or going to the gym and then also that post-activity. Yeah, so first in terms of fueling yourself for the gym or whatever activity you're doing, I think that a lot of people miss the mark on nutrient timing. So that might vary depend on, depending on when during the day are you actually exercising. Um, how long is the workout that you're doing and how intense is it? So If you're waking up and you're going for a 30-minute walk, I think it's totally fine to wake up and just go out for that walk as long as you're not feeling physically starving when you wake up, um, at which point it might be helpful to have something small. Um, But if you're waking up and you don't have a lot of time, but you're still heading out the door and you're going to an hour-long, you know, intense session with a personal trainer and then going to go to yoga after it or you have a job that's more active where you're on your feet like a teacher or something along those lines, that's where you absolutely want to fuel. 
when you wake up. So I think the timing involved and the attention to detail of what activity you have and, and when it is during the day definitely matters. Later in the day, let's say that you're fitting in fitness either on your lunch break or after work, um, before dinner, you want to think about fueling earlier in the day for that. I always explain it as, you know, you don't want to have that empty gas tank. Obviously, dietitians use the gas tank reference a lot, but you don't want to get to a point where you're expecting your body to do something without having that fuel. And I, I say a lot, like, you wouldn't take your car with an empty gas tank and push it up a hill yourself if there was a gas station right there and then fill it up at the top. It just doesn't make sense. Um, you would want to do that ahead of time so that you, you know, can do it more efficiently. It's going to happen faster. You're going to be more energized doing it, all of those things. So uh, think about, did I eat breakfast? Did I have lunch? Am I skipping snacks or nutrients throughout the day? Um, and that really is important before we get to that afternoon type of exercise, not just what am I eating right beforehand? So there's a lot of nuance that's going to happen there. Uh, yeah. So it definitely varies person to person. And I'm glad he said too, like, paying attention to detail and also like how you're feeling. So someone may be fine to go on that 30 minute walk and, you know, feel good when they get back and someone else they're coming back and they're like, oh, I'm a little lightheaded. Like I don't feel as good, which I will say difference of being pregnant and not oh my pregnant. Gosh. I could go on that 30 to 45 minute walk and feel completely fine pre-pregnancy. But while I'm pregnant, I like have to fuel for every single movement I'm doing. So what are some of the food groups or macronutrients that we should focus on to fuel ourselves? Yeah. And, you know, first to piggyback on what you were saying about pregnancy, we were mentioning before how I was feeling pretty nauseous most of my pregnancy um, for my second and definitely till the end with my first. And I learned that fitness was something that I wanted to continue to do because it got my mind off of the nausea and how I was feeling. But I also couldn't get 10 minutes into exercise without having fuel. So that was a time that I made an adjustment in my life where normally I don't recommend fuel until during exercise until you've been in a workout. It's going to last an hour or more, but you need to make those adjustments depending on different stages of life, different things going on. But that fuel, what is it? Uh, we want to primarily rely on carbohydrates when we have a tight window before exercise. So if you are waking up in the morning and you are going to head out right away, Carbs are going to get into your bloodstream and get to your muscles more quickly, stabilize your blood sugar more quickly, um, especially if they are lower in fiber. If we add in protein and fat right before exercise, it's going to stay in your stomach a little bit longer. It's not going to get energy into your bloodstream so that it's there when you need it within the time that you're actually exercising. So that's why there's that reliance there. Um quick energy you could be reaching. I love medjool dates. Um, if I'm going to be exercising for longer, if it's hot outside, I sprinkle a teeny bit of salt on them, make sure I have enough water with it. Um, honey is a go-to for me because it's so simple. And that's actually was trending on TikTok, TikTok recently, uh, having a nice spoonful of honey. And it's been something I've recommended for a long time, whether a professional athlete or a high school athlete or just someone headed to the gym. Um, and half a ripe banana. For some people, juice can be okay. You have to think about what activity you're doing, your digestive response to things like that. But those are some easy, like real food options that you can grab that are super quick on the go. And would that be too, Kelly? Like, let's say you're exercising during your lunch break or, you know, maybe that like four or five o'clock time after work, just making sure you're either getting that in as a snack or as part of like your previous meal before that workout. 
Yeah. So let's say that you're going to exercise on your lunch break. You want to make sure you had an adequate breakfast that has those energetic carbohydrates for your brain too throughout the workday or whatever else you have going on during the day. But that there's also protein there and fat for satiety. And so that we don't see blood, ger- blood sugar spikes and crashes, uh, depending on the length of time between your breakfast and when that lunch break is. Maybe you want a mid-morning snack that has some carbs that actually do have fiber, a little bit of fat and protein. So maybe instead of just a banana, you're adding to that nuts or nut butter that's going to give a little bit of those things maybe in an hour before. Um, if you haven't had anything and you realize, oh, no, I missed my mid-morning snack, then that's a time where you can grab some of the quick energy I was mentioning. Same thing in the afternoon, prioritize those yeah. same nutrients at lunch. So if you have an intense afternoon workout, um, and at lunch, all you had was a salad with salmon on top and there was no carbohydrate component at all, you might be feeling pretty depleted and overly hungry after that workout happens or not have the energy that you needed to really optimize what you could have gotten out of it. So add quinoa to your salad, you know, even have crackers on the side, stuff like that can be helpful. Yeah, no. And I think something you just said is really key and that I find I talk a lot about with clients is maybe they're like, you know, and we'll get into kind of like low carb and some fear of carbs, et cetera. But for people who don't want to have those carbs before, you really, a lot of the times, can't get your best workout in. So your workout's not as effective. You're not going to burn as many calories. You're not going to build as much muscle. Um, So we want to make sure too, especially with, I feel like everyone's schedules these days, people are getting in like great 20, 30 minute workouts. And that's great. But we Mm -hmm. want to make them as effective as we can. Um, What about the post-workout or post-activity? What are the foods we should be focusing on? Post-workout, you know, for people who are athletes, the amount of carbs right afterwards doesn't matter as much as getting in recovery nutrients like protein. If you are the type of person, though, who is getting in an hour-long workout most days of the week, even four to five days a week, that's where I would say that you do want to prioritize carbs with the protein. That can be in the form of a snack. It could be yogurt. It could be Greek yogurt with some fruit inside. That could be a simple way to get a good combination of those nutrients. If it is time for a meal within an hour of finishing whatever training session you had, then that meal, you just want to make sure, again, quality protein source. It could be something like chicken or salmon, or if you aren't eating animal products in any way, that could look like tofu or tempeh or Um, to ensure we're having quality protein, pairing something like lentils with a more protein-rich grain such as quinoa or farro. So um, having that combination is really critical. Fat is an important nutrient that I don't think gets talked enough about when we speak about performance nutrition or at least least physical performance nutrition. Um, It gets left out because there's so much discussion about carbs and protein, but it is something that we should either have within food, maybe in salmon or tuna or whatever, or be something that we're cooking with or using as a topping or flavoring agent. So we want that nutritious fat to be there too. It's just not as imperative, the timing of it right after exercise, if that makes sense. Yeah. What about Kelly? Like, are there certain antioxidants or vitamins and minerals post-workout that can really help? Because like, right, when we work out, we're putting stress on the body. It can be good stress. Yes, you can also go over that good stress threshold. Mm-hmm. But is there anything else like when building our plate um, or a snack that can be supportive antioxidant-wise? Yeah, I think that, you know, including color whenever possible is important. So fruits and veggies, getting that color in, 
critical. I think it's also important, and this can come up in that carb discussion too, to recognize that all whole plant foods have antioxidants in them, right? We're getting those phytonutrients that are anti-inflammatory, act as antioxidants from all whole plant foods. So that could be legumes, it could be whole grains, nuts, seeds. It's not just fruits and veggies. So including those components and a variety of them, I think is the biggest key. Uh, You hear a lot that the brightest colors are the best, but you're also going to have antioxidants in white foods um, and, you know, things in onions and uh, leeks and, uh, you know, tofu. So there's a lot to say for that variety in color, even when there are some of those bland colors as well. Okay, good to know. Um, So let's dive into some of these misconceptions. And I'm curious from your point of view, like what are some of the top performance nutrition misconceptions you see in your practice on social media? (laughs) I know there's a ton. And then even just with family and friends, because I feel like sometimes I'm like talking to a friend or a family member, they're telling me this like, like a wild thing they heard, you know, from some doctor or from social media or they're following some random plan. And I'm like, where, where did that come from? What is that about? So what do you see a lot that people should be aware of? I think that the, you know, the new version of low carb is keto. Most people are actually going keto, um, which is a whole other discussion. You know, keto is such a Most people never were, Kelly. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. So when we talk about, you know, going on a keto diet and seeing all these keto products, um, you know, we're taking normal products that could serve a lot of purpose in a normal person's life that just might, you know, be a little higher in fat and protein and not actually keto because of the protein component or fiber component. And we're slapping keto on them and, you know, just making it seem like that's a positive health trend. Um, as we know, as dietitians, that diet was pushed for kids with epilepsy. Um, And we don't have enough long-term data on even the general population, in my opinion, to be pushing it or using it for even, you know, things like diabetes, you'll see it recommended sometimes. And you'll talk to some, you know, I have a couple of friends that are dietitians who have type 1 diabetes and work with other people with diabetes type 1 and type 2. I would never recommend, um, you know, going on a keto diet based on their personal experiences, their experiences with clients. So uh, we have to remember sometimes too that, even when there's limited data on some of these trends, you know, we have to think about the data that speaks against it. We have to think about individual um, recommendations and what's best for that person versus just making these blanket statements that it's going to work for everyone. Uh, You know, taking what you see on social media, whether it's coming from a quote influencer or a dietitian or medical professional, sometimes with a grain of salt because we don't know you personally, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, while... One person could follow a quote keto diet that's probably just low carb and end up either losing weight or feeling better or whatever it might be. That doesn't mean that that's what's best for everyone else. Um, you mentioned, you know, family. And my dad said something recently about some supplement that he heard someone had taken for their heart. And all of a sudden it made their gums feel better too. And he was like, so I think everyone should take that. And I just can't even argue with him anymore. I'm like, okay, dad, uh-huh. you know, that one single anecdote and it was probably misconstrued what actually happened to the original person. So we have to keep that in mind. Again, what happens for one person, their experience can't apply to everyone else, whether it's a trend or, you know, a supplement or whatever else it might be. Um, you know, that ties into performance nutrition with low carb because we have seen some studies looking at um, fat adaptation for endurance athletes. 
um, and endurance, like ultra endurance athletes, people who do like speed walking, um, is, you know, part of this group, a uh, very small group of, um, studies that we take a look at. And what we find is that people can fat adapt if they really want, um, if they're eating less carbohydrate, not necessarily low carbohydrate, but it still doesn't mean that they're going to perform optimally. Can they perform and finish these races that are a little bit longer? Yes. But it doesn't mean that they're hitting the optimal performance that they necessarily could. And it really goes against these very small, limited studies, goes against decades of research we have that show that if you do want to exercise for a lot longer, which may or may not be some of the listeners that we have here, if you're training for a half marathon, marathon, maybe that's more you. Um, if you're training for longer, we know that to maintain intensity and to feel good mentally, carbohydrates and hydration tend to be the limiting factors. So those are the things that we want to emphasize a little bit more rather than, you know, try to micromanage and pull them away. I think the stress involved too, even if it quote works for you, isn't necessarily worth it and doesn't put you in a position where you're going to be able to live a normal carefree life, enjoying normal foods with your family and friends and so on and so forth. Yeah, no. Well, first off, I'm glad it's not just only me who gets like, the weekly email from my dad about some random product or yeah, it's never ending. Um, but we hit it on the family text chain too. I saw one this morning and I was just like, I'm not even clicking oh my on the God. article. I I, yeah, respond. sometimes I just don't respond. He means well, he forgets about it. That, I love yeah, you. exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. So to piggyback off of that, Kelly, what if someone though is not doing keto, right? Which like we said, most people aren't actually doing keto. Um, but they are on somewhat of a lower carb diet, not too low, but they're trying to control their blood sugars. If they are sandwiching their workouts or their like main active part of their day with carbohydrates in those meals or snacks, will their body still respond well? To performance. Yeah. So if we're thinking about blood sugar management, I think that, you know, people with diabetes, if you're listening and you're like newly diagnosed, this might not make as much sense yet, but people with diabetes or with blood sugar control issues tend to notice, you know, that how they feel in response to the carbs that they put in. But exercise itself also will affect your blood sugar. So we know that exercise will cause the cells to pull energy in or glucose, sugar, carbohydrates into cells. Um, even if your insulin is not doing a good job or you don't produce insulin anymore. So having the carbohydrate rate before exercise is really a perfect time to have it. So if you are implementing more exercise training into your lifestyle and blood sugar management is something that you're concerned with, the perfect time to include more carbohydrates or maybe the sweeter carbohydrates that you're trying to limit would be before exercise because your body's going to do a better job, you know, utilizing that for um, getting it into your cells, your muscle cells, your brain even, uh, you know, when you're active. I think the other thing too is right after exercise is that your cells are a little bit more sensitive to absorbing energy and storing it as glycogen, the carbohydrate we store in the muscles and the liver, than other times throughout the day. That's for everyone, whether you are, you know, trying to manage blood sugar or not. Uh, Studies show that if you wait two hours after exercise to replace your carbohydrates, the amount of them stored as glycogen versus used in other ways in the body uh, is 50% lower. So if you are going to have those carbs and you have them right after exercise, the cell sensitivity pulls that into your muscles and liver, stores it so it can be used by those cells later. 
again, versus wait two hours, only half of the amount of carbs you're going to get in there. So that, you know, can say something for people who might be fearful of carbs in terms of fat storage or, again, just blood sugar control uh, and, you know, where carbs are going throughout the day. And the other thing, though, is too for blood sugar management and not just for blood sugar management. This is what I recommend to everyone because in a sense, blood sugar management matters for all well, of us. No, I was going to say, we all yeah. we all need, I feel like, and everyone has such a focus on it right right now with like, you know, these continuous glucose monitors coming yes. out. And also, I mean, I will say with every single client I work with, blood sugar is like one of our first education pieces because mm-hmm. we all need to manage our blood sugars because whenever you get a blood sugar spike, right, that leads to inflammation. That can lead to weight gain, weight retention, like there's, and stress. There's so many things that happen when we have that spike. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's even just getting that out there, but it's, it's such a hot topic right now. And I know some people like, whether they're not even so much fearful of carbs, they're like trying to watch their carbs. But I'm like, you still have to eat your carbs before and after you exercise. But that two hour bit is so good, Kelly, for people to know, especially for like, I mean, I think about, which I know a lot of our listeners are like, div moms who are literally running from one place to another. And it's like, okay, if I go to the gym, then I have time, but then I have to like run here and do all these errands Mm -hmm. stuff. Like, make sure you're getting something in within that two-hour time frame. And and even if that's finding convenience foods, like, I'm more about convenience foods than ever, but, you know, you can look at what is in there. Is this something that, you know, I used to make my own bars all the time, like, whether it's an energy bar or a protein bar, and now I'm buying the same exact thing that I could make in my kitchen. It's just in a package, and it's a lot more convenient and in the car for me, so that when I do forget or I haven't planned, it's there, because even as dietitians, we, you know, aren't perfect with all of this too. So having those things on hand can help with all of that. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, okay. What are some other top misconceptions you see? Well, because you mentioned CGMs, if you're okay, you know, mm-hmm. diving into that more. Oh, let's I think go that, down it. Yeah. You know, I think that there's, could it be beneficial in some ways for people, for people to know? Continuous glucose monitors are typically used by people with diabetes who are then able to better manage their blood sugar because they know what to expect in terms of how their body will respond to the amount of carbs that they've eaten, but also the combination of carbs alongside protein and fat and fiber. So yeah. when we you know, talk low-carb diets even too, I feel like people are really just thinking eating less you know, overly processed foods, eating you know, smaller portions of like pasta and pizza and bread. And they're not really thinking about the fact that fruits and vegetables they're primarily carbohydrate, right? So when we end up really, you know, cutting out carbohydrates, we're cutting out fiber, which is important for blood sugar control. We're cutting out the fiber that and the prebiotics that are important for our microbiome, which also yeah. impacts blood sugar, metabolism, antioxidant function, mood, all of these things. So I think that just, you know, how we define low carb is sometimes a little bit confusing. Yeah. And then, you know, that again, blood sugar balance being important to everyone. I know for me, I notice if I'm going to have something that's super starchy or sugary, you know, even if it's like a celebration or a holiday or my own birthday, um, having something without protein and fat with it is going to make me feel kind of anxious. Like I get that spike and crash really quickly and that crash affects my mood dramatically. So when we're thinking about mental performance, Blood sugar control, I think, matters for everyone. And that's why even when we're emphasizing eating fiber-rich, nutrient-rich carbs at other times throughout the day, 
you want the fat and protein with it for so many reasons, right? Yeah. Well, cause it's, so that, with, it's yeah. that blood sugar roller coaster. It's like right. when we get hangry, like if I'm not paying attention to how things will affect my blood sugars, like by just eating, you know, a carb on its own and I'm not about to go move my body exactly. and use it up, which is okay, right? Because we end up using it. I'm a miserable human being and I'm starving 30 minutes later, maybe mm-hmm. even 20 minutes later. Yeah. And it's just the bad, like the whole rest of the day mm-hmm. is just kind of shot. And everyone's right. like has different sensitivities. Some people may not feel it like that. Like they may not feel mm-hmm. their blood sugars as much. Right. But you always want to have that balance. I really would say, and I'm curious if you agree, the only time I would have a carb on its own that's not super high in fiber because the fiber can help balance out that blood mm-hmm. sugar for sure would be right before movement mm-hmm. like i I'm really wouldn't have it on its own i mean and also just for like yeah that feeling after and it's something i'm already trying to teach my four-year-olds I, you know we talk about it as like quick energy and slow energy because he's worse than i am in terms of mood like he gets so bad and he doesn't feel stomach hunger quickly enough mm-hmm. So he's finally making the connection when he has a little tantrum. He'll then finally say, I think I'm hungry. And I feel like such a win because he's getting it. But, you know, we talk about almost every day, right, here's your quick energy and we need slow energy to balance that out. So, you know, if you don't feel like eating that on your plate, how are we going to get slow energy in with protein and fat? And at breakfast, if he doesn't feel like having something with protein, it's okay. Do you want milk or you can have a spoonful of peanut butter? Like something as simple as that. So, I think that, yeah, some people are going to feel it much more dramatically than others. But, you know, and so maybe it's the people who aren't as sensitive to feeling those feelings throughout the day who maybe could benefit from a CGM in the future. I don't know. But I don't think it's something that we should ever feel the need for someone without blood sugar issues to use long term. I think that if you're going to jump in and use something like that, it can give you some data about how you're responding to food. But I don't think it should be something that everyone is obsessing over these numbers uh, throughout the day. Because again, mental wellness is so important. If we're focusing so much on micromanaging every little number and exactly when and exactly the grams of this and that and everything, um, then it's just going to drive us crazy. And that stress is not good for our gut health and so many other things too. So I think that, um, again, there's some perceived benefits, but you have to think about the practicality of everything. And that's what I, my, before I make a recommendation, whether it be a broad recommendation or a recommendation to a 101 client, I'm always thinking, is this practical for you? Is this something you could actually do and, you know, have it be a lasting change or a lasting thing that you implement forever, essentially, that's going to help you feel better physically and mentally. So that's kind of where my thoughts are on that. I saw an article recently that a performance dietitian wrote about how she never used to, you know, think that she would need something like that. She started using a CGM and how it changed her recommendations. But the things that she was writing there too were that she, you know, previously would say, oh, you know, just focus on quote simple carbs two hours before training. And now she recommends adding fat and protein there. And I'm like, well, two hours before you should always have been yeah, recommending. Two hours before you should be doing that anyway. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, not to call out, you know, anything specific, no. but, you know, I think that just the way that we interpret this stuff, um, you know, we have to think about what were we really taught in the beginning and how, again, does that apply to our, our clients and individuals? Well, in a 
big, big note there is just because a food affected her blood sugar or yes. someone on social media's blood sugar a certain way does mm-hmm. not mean that's exactly how it's going to affect your blood sugar. 100%. Because we all have different sensitive blood sugar sensitivity. So really keep that in mind. Like blood sugar is personalized. And that's even like when Kelly and I are talking about like we really feel our blood sugars, like kind of when it's on a high and when it's on mm-hmm. a crash. Some people don't, but that's, you cannot just go off of what foods are affecting other people's blood sugars. Yes, there are mm-hmm. generalizations, right, that we can totally make. But sure. Not exactly to a T. So one last carb question. Let's talk about Kelly how carbs could like how could carbs actually hurt us though if we're trying to build muscle or like see some gains? Because that's one thing I don't think people realize is like they may even listen to this and be like, nah, I'm gonna still stick to my low carb. But they're trying to build muscle, they're trying to right, like we've talked about kind of performance and how it like fuels there. But also with muscle building and repair after, along with protein, that lack of carb can hurt us. Right. So I think there's a lot of focus, too, even before I jump into this. And so what we do immediately post-workout, and that certainly matters. And again, for that glycogen, that carb storage, it absolutely matters. But what we're doing the rest of the day with protein matters, too, if you're looking to gain lean muscle and get stronger. So, you know, it... If we're cutting out carbohydrate, whether it be right after a workout or we're not eating enough total carbs the rest of the day, the protein that you are eating and that you're prioritizing and you're, you know, maybe paying special attention to get enough of it in, you could start using that as an energy source rather than to build muscle. And instead of all of the other functions that protein has, we forget that protein is not just for building muscle and not just energy, but it also helps us create hormones and enzymes, which regulate our metabolism. It's part of our immune system. It's building all of our other organs and tissues. So if you're, you know, trying to gain muscle while also low carb and you're experiencing any brittle hair and nails or, you know, your skin isn't feeling as good uh, as you feel like it should, uh, if you're getting sick pretty often, those can be indicators that you're not eating enough total carbs or just enough total energy that could come from fat too at the end of the day. So we want to make sure that we're eating enough in general so that protein can do what it's supposed to do. I like to explain that, you know, carbs and fat are our energy and proteins are structure. So we don't want to, you know, tear down the house to fuel it, uh, to throw, you know, fire in the furnace. Well, you know what? That's a perfect segue into protein. And let's talk about, you know, vegetarian, vegan, plant-based diets, which I would love, Kelly, before you dive into plant-based diets, like what your definition of a plant-based diet is, because Mm -hmm. everyone thinks something different. Some people hear plant-based, they think just vegetarian or vegan. Others think, um, which is like what I typically think of, it doesn't mean you may be taking out animal sources, but the majority of your plate and meals is plant-forward, is mainly plants. Mm -hmm. Um, But how How does that affect our protein and any tips you can give for someone listening that um, is maybe more in a plant-forward diet or vegetarian diet and is struggling or vegan diet and is struggling to get in adequate amounts of protein for performance? 
Yeah. So, you know, starting, I think that plant-based is a very flexible term. I I love the term for that reason, because it could apply to someone who's following a vegan lifestyle. It could apply to a vegetarian. It could apply to someone who likes to enjoy red meat. So I love that there's versatility in it. And if someone says, I'm going to follow a plant-based diet, they don't feel pigeonholed into something because I find that I've had, and I have a couple of clients right now who were endurance athletes. They decided to go vegan for health benefits or performance benefits. But we ended up finding that, you know, it had nothing to do with ethical reasons or the environment or animal welfare. And they were missing so many, you know, opportunities to get enough protein in during the day because of their busy and hectic lifestyles. So one of them, you know, just needed some education on how to do that. The other is traveling for work all the time and realized, okay, I need to incorporate fish back in at least because you know, not only is that an easier way for me to get protein at restaurants or when I'm here or there, but also it's going to help me get omega-3s, which are a little bit more challenging on, um, you know, a completely vegan diet. So for him, that ended up working to add some back in and it's still a plant-based diet. So again, that plant-based, it, it keeps you from feeling like you have to follow something so specific if your, you know, philosophies change at all, or if you just feel like making a different decision one day out of the year. Um, there's less like guilt, I feel, for people. So I think of plant-based as majority of plants, uh, majority of your diet is plants. Um, plant forward is something I think I'm using a little bit more often now just because it resonates more with consumers because so many food products slap plant-based on something that is just yep. naturally vegan. Yeah. And I think that's where some of the confusion comes. So I, I've been using, you mentioned it too, the term plant forward a lot more. Um, with that though, you know, there's so many varying degrees that you could have that it can be confusing to know when you need to either supplement with something or really be focusing a lot more on your protein pairings, I'll call them. Um, we know that, you know, the Academy of Nutrition Dietetics has a position paper on vegetarianism and they say through that, that as long as you're eating a variety of proteins throughout the course of the day, you shouldn't have to worry about pairing them at meals. Um, which is something that I think we were both taught when we were in um, school. Rice but and when beans, it comes, Cal. Yes. When it comes to performance, though, I think the pairing matters, but not necessarily rice and beans because rice is actually a super low-protein no. food, right? But that's like so, what they taught us all the time. Exactly. They're like, like, pair your rice with your bean. <laughs> right, I know. Yeah. Um, and there's still people who have that, you know, misconception. And if they're not regularly working with people who eat more plant-based, they may just still throw out that recommendation. But um, timing matters. So first of all, I find that, you know, the timing of when you get your protein in matters for muscle repair, not even just muscle building, muscle repair, getting the most out of your workouts so you can reach your fitness goals later. Um, it also helps with satiety throughout the day and blood sugar control. So instead of having protein and focusing on it post-workout and at dinner, are we getting it at breakfast? Are we getting enough at lunch? Or is that meal kind of an afterthought? So spreading that intake out helps in a variety of ways. But research study after research study is supporting that it's also best to optimize your muscle repair, not just after a workout, but maybe four times throughout the day, spreading out your intake if you can. When it comes to plant-based, if you're not having you know, fish or eggs in a particular day, um, then, or you know, meats, if that's something that you're including too, and all of that, you do want to think a little bit about the quality. So soy protein is considered the you know highest quality plant protein in terms of the amino acids it contains and in terms of the quantity that you're getting in a serving. 
So something like chia seeds might be, you know, high quality in terms of the amino acids that are in it, but you're never going to eat enough chia seeds in one sitting that it's going to give you enough protein on its own, right? So if you want to focus your protein as tofu or tempeh or edamame in a meal, great, but you can't do that with chia seeds or pistachios. It's just not going to happen. So that's where you might want to start to pair foods together. I like, you know, lentils and beans are a great inclusion as long as your gut tolerates them regularly. Um, but with that, again, how are we pairing grains and vegetables and other ingredients like nuts and seeds that can contribute and add up to enough protein in that meal, if that makes sense. Yeah. So at breakfast, thing, that could be more challenging. Yeah. And the great thing with lentils and beans that I like too, especially like when we're talking about performance nutrition is they are like supplying carbohydrates as well, like in a good amount of carbohydrates. And not as much as like, yeah, and more iron. And it's just, it's a great way to kind of hit a lot of those marks. Um, Do you have, Kelly, for like your on-the-go person Mm -hmm. who is a vegetarian or vegan, like what are some good quick, because I feel like that's when it's hard. Like mealtimes, you can usually figure something out, right? Like whether you're doing tofu Mm -hmm. or tempeh, um, or beans or lentils, like we discussed, but it's like that on the go that I find yeah. vegans and vegetarians have struggle a little bit with. Absolutely. So mealtimes, if you're, you know, nailing what you need and you're not doing like a lot of intense exercise, it is more recreationally active. You're trying to maintain fitness, regulate your appetite throughout the day. I do think that things like pistachios can be a good snack, right? You're going to get six or seven grams of protein. Um, but maybe, you know, you pair that with an apple and you're going to actually feel satiated from the fiber with it too. If you are looking to hit protein goals a little bit more, roasted edamame is my go-to. I keep it everywhere. They have like single serve packs. They're in my car. They're in every bag I own. I take them when I travel. Um, you know, it's just easy. It doesn't spoil all of that. If you eat more plant-based, but you include fish, salmon jerky is an option actually. Um, so that's something you can look for and include if you don't want to include the meat products at all. Um, it is a little bit harder if you're entirely vegan, though, and that is where you might have protein powders a little bit more often. So yeah. look at your ingredient list. Think about what you're actually putting in your body if it's something you're using more regularly uh, to make things a little bit easier. And I do find it like a bigger reliance on soy protein sometimes. So maybe it's, um, you know, those single served soy milks that you can carry around. Um, it's a little harder to find unsweetened, but it's an option if you need something as kind of an emergency food when you're on the go. Yeah, no. And when you said those roasted edamames, I love the roasted chickpeas too. And they yes. have them like um, they have them in the single serve packs too. I'm curious, Kelly, because I know like you're also such a good cook. Do you have any go tos, or for someone who even wants to explore more plant based options? Um, some go-to ways to cook tempeh or tofu for meals? Yeah. So um, tofu, if you're new, I, when I first started eating more plant-based, I just turned my nose up at tofu. I thought it was disgusting. I couldn't believe people ate it. It was just not something I ate growing up. So I had no exposure to it. And I just thought, I bought like silken tofu and thought that I was, you know, doing the right thing. I had no idea what it's there. Uh, and then we were out at, you know, vegan restaurants in Philly, just trying new things. And time after time, it would be, oh, that's tofu that you're eating. And I couldn't believe it. So gave it another shot. Now we eat it all the time. My son will cut up a block of tofu and eat it raw. Totally okay. You don't actually have to cook tofu or tempeh. 
Um, I don't recommend it flavor-wise, but the great thing about it is it absorbs flavor so much. It doesn't really taste like much. So any marinade or seasoning or anything that you love is just going to soak right up in it as long as you're preparing it the right way. So if you're new to it, I would say to um, prep in advance, maybe buy the quote high-protein tofu even versus Mm -hmm. the um, extra firm because then you don't really have to drain it, which can be annoying. You could forget to do it earlier in the day. you know, cut it up the night before, put it in a container with whatever marinade or, or seasoning that you would usually use on chicken, for example, um, to get a better texture and keep it from sticking to the pan. I'm also big on adding a little cornstarch and olive oil, and that can help crisp it up a little bit. So that's um, a big tip there. But air fryer is also great. You can bake it instead of doing it in the pan. That's kind of my go-to as well. Yeah, air fryer tofu. So I've gotten like consistent in the habit either just putting like having it in a sriracha marinade mm-hmm. put it in the air fryer 380 12 to 14 minutes and they're like these little crispy nuggets of heaven um yep. but i'm curious kelly do you have any tips for cooking tempeh like so i'm tempeh, still yeah. kind of getting into that and sometimes it comes out good and sometimes it doesn't come out so good so with tempeh <laughs> Definitely some people like it more than others. My husband prefers tempeh. I prefer tofu if we're going to like choose between the two. Um, He will just like crumble it up and simmer it in a tomato sauce. And that'll be his meat sauce. Like super easy. When I was pregnant and didn't want to cook, he would eat that like for six a week. Um, But I will also like slice it up and um, marinate it or I'll slice it up and cook it as if it's like chicken slices in a pan with seasonings. I do um, a tempeh fajita. So just, you know, fajita seasoning, you can add a little bit of um, like sauce or even salsa in there. So it won't stick as much, um, but that helps absorb flavor a little bit too. Some people will just like crumble it and throw it on the salad without even doing anything to it and just go with like the flavor that's there. I have seen that if you're having trouble with um, either the texture or the flavor in any way, because there is a little bit more of a flavor to it than with tofu. So I think you have to amp up the flavor of the meal in general, that you can boil it. And because there's not many vitamins that we're concerned with in there that boiling would, you know, make it kind of extract into the liquid uh, and it's more minerals that we're, we're getting from it, I think that that can be okay. So you want to take the time to boil your tempeh to tone down the taste a little bit. You can. Um, I'll admit it's not something I've done, but it's something I've recommended yeah, a couple Kelly's times. like mom of two young kids over here not yeah, I don't boiling, time for boiling the tempeh. tempeh. <laughs> Which actually, okay, that's my next question. So I think Kelly, a lot of our listeners could identify with you. Like you have two small young boys who are so adorable um, and you have a busy lifestyle. You run your own business. You're on the go. And then you're also going to the gym like a few times a week um, and active. Can you tell us what a typical day of eating for performance is like for you on a, you know, a training day? And then Mm -hmm. if it's different on a rest day or if it's just the same. Yeah. So the two consistent training days, I try to exercise at least four times a week, but my two consistent training days are Tuesdays and Thursdays. And at 8 a.m., I am training with a trainer and a couple friends. And my husband will take the kids to school, but we're both going crazy in the morning with them. And some mornings, it's a couple bites of leftover buckwheat pancake that is my fuel for exercise. Some days, it's going to be a honey packet or something like that. Um, But I always have coffee. We didn't even talk about coffee. Caffeine is great for performance and fueling mom life. 
So um, I add creatine to my coffee before I go um, and have, you know, some tiny bit of carbs. Um, it's like a 45 minute training session and it is intense, you know, uh, heavy lifting, but um, it's not cardio. So I don't feel like I need a ton. Usually if I'm a little bit more hungry, I'll have a little bit more. Afterwards, I come home and my typical post-workout meal is eggs. So I'll usually have either whatever leftover veggies we have, throw them in a pan, add two to three eggs. And preferably I have sourdough on hand. If not, it's probably some whole grain bread um, that I'll have with it. Maybe some blueberries if I'm feeling like I need um, a little bit more sweetness or something there. And then I tend to have lunches a lot of times leftovers. If not, I'm throwing pre-prepped tofu or tempeh into a wrap. Sometimes I take like lentils and leftover veggies and pre-pet quinoa and I throw it on a salad. Um, just, you know, eat it cold, throw it all together. Uh, and then I try to have like a small afternoon snack usually before we have like really early dinner now. I can't believe that I'm the person that eats dinner at like 5, 5.30, but that's like with two little kids. So uh, I try to have something small in the afternoon just so that I'm not starving by the time we have dinner together. Um, so that's like a day where where I'm going to um, exercise. I'll admit I'm not as good as I should be at eating breakfast right away uh, on days that I'm not training. It usually ends up being around the time that it would be post-training around nine o'clock just because there's so much going on in the morning with kids. Uh, but that that's what my body's adapted to be okay with. Uh, you know, people yeah. have different philosophies. Some people say you have to eat within an hour. Your hormones are going to be crazy and it works for my body and I'm fine. Um, and again, then I'll have, you know, breakfast at nine, lunch sometimes goes later if I'm not paying attention to my hunger cues, but try to eat lunch like 1230 or one. And then, um, you know, from there, small snack, whatever I'm grabbing depends on how hungry I am that day yeah. and whatever else is going on. And then our early dinners. And I'm usually done eating pretty early now, too. I feel like before kids, because I ate later, if it, there was a day that my schedule um had an earlier meal, I'd be like starving later at night. But I just have naturally like a shorter eating window now. When I was breastfeeding, forget it. It was like as soon as I woke up, I had something and I had to have a late night snack. All but, day long. Yes. <laughs> um, do you find, Kelly, that your meal components adjust at all on a rest day? Like for your breakfast, would you still have like, do you do you end up having as many carbs on a rest day or? I tend to, um, yeah. you know, just because I think of those as recovery days or especially with the training yeah. that I do. I do heavy lifting. I'm sore two days after sometimes, depending on what I'm doing. If I was just going to like, you know, sometimes I go to like a dance fitness class because that's what fits in my schedule. And I just don't want to think if that's what I'm doing and the next day's a rest day, I might not be craving as much carbohydrate. And I try to let my body guide me. I am more in tune with my body, as we were talking about, than I think a lot of other people are. I think that a lot of times former athletes are and that dietitians and health professionals are, but um, I'm really good at listening to my hunger cues and knowing what to put on my plate and also what to stop. Sometimes I put you know, two slices of bread or you have two slices of avocado toast and I don't eat the second because I'm done. You know, So yeah. I think that's important too, is listening to your body and adjusting eat what you're eating even once it's on your plate. So no, that can be a I think bit that's more so good. And just, yeah, listening to your body too, because there may be days if you're like, oh, well, on my rest days, like I really shouldn't eat carbs, but your body's literally like screaming for them. Guess what? If you don't have those whole grain or whole food carbs in in the morning, um, guarantee you, you're probably going to get a late night snack later. Yep. 
Or maybe that mid-afternoon chocolate fix is going to turn into like a much larger, you know, we just had Halloween, Halloween chocolate fix. Or dinner's massive. Exactly. You have to listen. right? Or like I will say too, when I'm pregnant, I need more carbs. Like I... Mm -hmm. I mean, most pregnant women do, but like my body craves them. And then, you know, there may be like a meal where <laughs> it's far and few between, but sometimes occasionally at breakfast, I'm like, no, you know what? Like, I just want my eggs, avocado and veggies. Right. I actually don't yep. want any today. Mm-hmm. Now, if I know I am going to be moving or working out, yes, I will include it no matter what. But you do. You have to listen to your body. Okay. Last question. Kelly, because I know we're running out of time. Yeah. Um, are there any other things? I know you said you put your creatine in your coffee. Are there any other things you do to help amplify your performance throughout your day um, that we didn't touch on? Um, caffeine and creatine are big. I do think it's important to take omega-3s if you're not eating fish super regularly. Um, I love salmon. Sometimes I eat tuna, but it's just I don't prepare them as often as I'd like. So if I'm not going out to eat regularly, I'm eating less of them. So I do think omega-3s are important for mental, especially for me, mental wellness and also for um, physical performance. There's some research related to, um, you know, muscle repair and muscle building coming out now. And then I take magnesium at night. I personally have a hard time winding down. Uh, cause there is so much to do. And even though I don't get as much sleep as I should, it's still hard for me to fall asleep. So the magnesium I take both for helping me sleep and for muscle recovery purposes. And it's something that a lot of my athletes, uh, take as well. Yeah. I will never not take magnesium before bed, especially mm-hmm. pregnant too, because yeah. hello, leg cramps. Yes. Um, that too. no, it's magical. Well, okay. I promise Kelly, this will be quick, but we love to end every episode with a little rapid fire Q&A. So first thing that comes to mind, just for our listeners to get to know you better, um, what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Ooh, just mindful breathing. So I need to just stop. I've been trying to do it before meals lately, mindful breaths. That's like the fourth person in a row that has chosen that. I feel like I would also do it with my four-year-old. He needs it. So he he does them as well. Okay, I try to do it with my 15-month-old. It's hilarious. He's like, Mom, what are, you, what are you doing? It's good. Um, okay, I think we early. know this answer already, but coffee or tea? Coffee. Um, Although in the winter, after in the morning, I will drink tea like all day long just to stay warm. Just to sip on, yeah. I also yeah. love like just sipping on like bone broth all day. Um, Something okay, warm. What is favorite home-cooked meal? Ooh, ooh, that's tough. Um... My whole family is really into this like spicy, well, not the kids spicy, but they have it without the spice, this spicy peanut noodle stir fry. So I do like the buckwheat soba, whatever veggies. And then I just like have, sometimes the proportions are a little different, but spicy like goju jang and peanut sauce um, with tofu. It's like our go-to. Oh haven't gotten sick of that. In I like want a that years. for lunch right now. <laughs> um, okay, Kelly, where can people find you, connect with you, learn more, and work with you? Yeah, so kellyjonesnutrition.com is my main website. I also have a business that focuses on student athletes, studentathletenutrition.com. Um, I'm most often present on Instagram when it comes to social media. So at kellyjonesrd. Same handle on YouTube and TikTok. I've been trying to be more active with short form video there. Uh, and we have a wonderful newsletter that my assistant, who's newly a dietitian, 
um, helps me keep up with every month where we go over nutrition myths. So uh, that's really fun. And we've gotten a lot of great feedback since starting that this year too. Yeah, no, I love getting that email. Thank you. Um, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully, honestly, we can have you back because there's even more I would love to dive into. Even just like the creatine discussion. It's yes. a whole discussion. Oh, we love talking about um, But thank you so much. You know, say hi and give a big hug to your little boys. Well, same to you and your little guy. We will hopefully talk soon. Yes. Thank you for having me. This week's actionable step is to make sure you're consuming a complete meal or snack post-exercise, including protein, carbohydrates, and healthy fats. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. For something to do in between episodes, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.